So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, number 77. If you have one of our sheets, uh, the, the psalm is printed on the back of your sheet, so you can take a look at that if you want to. So um, before we, we started Collective, and actually a little bit while we were doing, uh, what, in, in the first year of doing this church, just sort of like as, a, as, a si- as an attempt to earn some side um, income, I used to write sermons for other preachers. Which is a weird thing to say. Like even now, like I, I, I look back and I think like that, that's a weird that's a weird job to have. I, I used to have a, a seminary professor. A guy actually he preached here one time. His name's Hewlett Glower, and um, he loves preaching. He's like one of these guys. He he just thrives on like writing sermons and preaching. And he was my mentor in in graduate school. And I um I, I he was asking me one time back before we started Collective about this church that I was working at. And he said, so, like, what do you do at this church? And I said, well, it's a multi-campus church, and there's lots of different preachers who uh, pastor at lots of different campuses. And so my job is to write the sermons for all the preachers. And he looked at me like I'd just broken off into Portuguese and just started speaking a different language (laughs) entirely. And and he looked at me like, wait, what did you say? They they pay you to to do what? To write sermons for other preachers? Because in his mind, the greatest thing about being a pastor is writing sermons and preaching sermons. And there are other pastors who, like, that they, they thrive on different, they like to the community building orient, or like, or oriented kind of stuff. They like leading small groups. They like um, doing weddings and hospital visits and all kinds of th- stuff. Like there, there's lots of things that go into this job and they aren't all preaching. And so he, but for, for Dr. Glower, his whole thing was like, no, that's, that's, that's where the life is. That's where, that's where it's at. Why would anybody want to do that? And so I had to explain to him, like, <laughs> no, some people just really prefer somebody else to do that. And I had to explain to him, like, that's, that's what I do. And even after, I started collect- or after we started Collective, I was, um, I was still doing that for other pastors in other churches just as, as a kind of a side hustle. And, um, and one, one of the things that I learned is there's a, like a lot of times when somebody hires you to do that, the type of person who hires you to do that, they're looking for a format. They're looking, there's a formula that they're looking for. And, and, and the format goes a little something like this. So basically, there is a, there is a concept. We'll, we'll call it concept X. And concept X is this is the thing that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about prayer, which is what we're going to talk about today. Or we're going to talk about um, the resurrection of Jesus, or we're going to talk about marriage, or we're going to talk about raising kids, or we're going to talk about whatever we're, you're going to talk about. And so the beginning of the serv- sermon is going to be an explainer with Bible verses about how this thing works, about how Concept X works. So you're going to explain how Concept X works, and then you're, you're going to do that for about 10 to 15 to maybe 20 minutes, depending on how complex, like 20 minutes is like a really complex thing. You're going to devote 20 minutes to something. And then at the end of the, the explainer, you're going to give say we'll say three it can be uh, uh, it, 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 it can be up to five bullet points are y'all recognizing only like three. It, it's only uh, like uh, f- five I, I've seen seven like th- there, there are there are books that, that make it up to seven but um, but God help you if you get more than seven like at that point you're like you're basically teaching a seminary class at that but so basically it's Three is the preferred number, I will say, for, for the sake of time. And also, a lot of times, they'll all start with the same letter. Like, like the, the three letters are prayer, perseverance, and um, persecution. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! We got it. We just wrote a sermon, guys. Um, I don't even know what that sermon would be about, but somebody would pay for that. So, so you've, got con- you've got Concept X. Concept X is explained with Bible verses. And then you have a bullet point with another Bible verse under the bullet point, And then that's the sermon. And so what ends up happening is, uh, and I, I remember one time um, 
I, I remember several times there being like, because what would happen is you would have a pastor who would say, I want to do a series on, say, the book of Acts, or I want to do a, seri- or a sermon on like a certain kind of idea. And they would tell me what they wanted it to be. And I would pr- pretty like an order, like a, like a short order cook. I would write them a sermon and then they would give me feedback on, on it. And I would go back and kind of do a revised version. And then that would be the thing that they would pay for, basically. And, um, and I remember several times thinking like, you can't get this format into this idea. Like th- this idea doesn't fit into this format. And I remember one time having a, like an argument. It w- I remember very specifically what it was, a, uh, I, it was about um, the story of Noah and the flood. And I remember thinking like, you can't do this format with that story. <laughs> that story is way too complex. Um, I've actually written an ebook about that story at, at, in, in the aftermath of this, just because of like, no, no, you can't, you can't just take something this big and this complex and condense it and have it work and, and be honest about how this works. And I remember the guy just basically saying, like, no, this is what I want. Like the customer is always right, and this is this is the way it's supposed to be. And I, I remember very specifically thinking, like, I don't think this format works for what, when we're talking about certain kinds of things. I don't know that a concept like the soul or the Holy Spirit can be dealt with in a three to five action step um, sermon with a quick explainer beforehand. Like I, I, I feel like we're, we're not doing justice to this idea. And, um, and, I, and I know it, like, like so, sometimes we, we get into these spaces, specifically pastors, where it needs to be explained in, in, in the simplest possible terms. And I've spent a lot of, my, like I've been doing pastoral work for 21 years, which is, I don't love saying that out loud. <laughs> Um, and, and before that, I, I, was, I grew up in church. So I've spent a lot of my life feeling like I should have answers to questions that could never be fully answered in any, any sort of satisfactory way. And I remember often thinking, like, I could try and answer this. I could give you the answer that I've been taught to give you. But I, I also feel like to do so would be dishonest. And so here's what we're doing with this series. The, seri- the title of this series is Things I Couldn't, I, thing, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm, uh, it's escaping me. Things I, things I can't understand or explain in parentheses, and that's okay. And, um, and the series is about some of those questions and concepts. It's about things that defy formulas and bullet points and spreadsheets, which is not easy for me because I actually do really love bullet points and spreadsheets. Like I, I feel comfortable inside <laughs> like, I, like working with bullet points and spreadsheets. So to acknowledge that there are certain things that you can't really just use bullet points and spreadsheets for, like that's difficult for me. And I... I um, I've spent a lot of time this year trying to figure out how to, about, trying to figure out what to preach about, quite frankly, because, um, th- like, and that's why, one of the reasons why we've been using the lectionary is because I've struggled to really come up with, like, series ideas and um, specific, like, thought, like, thought processes that lead to sermons and, and series. And there, there are certain topics that, that I've always thought, like, that would make an interesting sermon. The problem is I don't know how to resolve it. The problem is I don't know exactly like where where to go with this, and so I thought like uh, right before uh, my wife and I just got back from vacation, and I, I thought like right before uh, the vacation I thought like what if what if there's a way to do a sermon series, and the whole point of the series is some of these things just can't be resolved. So what what if the whole point is we're going to talk about some of this stuff, and it's okay that we don't just fully resolve this thing. And it's, and it's okay, like s- some of the stuff is complex and we're gonna deal with the complexity of it all and that's gonna be okay. That's why we're gonna do the Q&A at the end and the, the discussion period because um, may- maybe, maybe it's okay that there are certain topics that yeah, the Bible talks about these things but the Bible doesn't necessarily resolve these things. 
So this series is about some of the questions and concepts about things that defy formulas and bullet points and spreadsheets. So today, we're going to talk about prayer. And which is funny because I've, I, I, I've preached sermons, I've written sermons, and I've heard lots of sermons about prayer that do seem to sort of resolve. Like prayer is this, prayer, like there, here, here's a formula for how to pray. Here's, here's, here are the words that you use. Here, here are these models for prayer that we have. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the kinds of prayer that we pray when we feel out of options and we feel desperate. So we're going to talk about prayer, but we're going to talk about it in a way that isn't just like, well, it's just talking to God, which maybe it is in some situations, but maybe it isn't just like wrapped up in a neat bow. Maybe there isn't a three-step process to prayer. Or maybe if we, if we try to assign a three-step process to prayer, then we will be leaving a lot of things out, that we would be not necessarily honest about what it really means in a lot of, in a lot of ways for us to be people who pray. Um, and I, it, it made me think about, and I've, I've told this story recently, I know, but um, a, a friend of mine, my, my best friend growing up, uh, who, uh, who, who I've known in my whole life, earlier back in July, his, his dad died of cancer. And uh, he was a relatively young guy. He was 64. He was a competitive bicyclist. And I remember he, he was diagnosed, and he died eight months later. And I remember for during that eight months, I was in a text message chain. And in the text message chain, there would often be, like, I, I would get a text either from my friend or from his sister or from someone who was close with the family. And it would always be, like, please pray for Mike because uh, this just happened. Or, like, the doctor just came back with this news. Or are, your prayers are working because, like, he sat up in bed or he was asking to see his grandson. Or, like, there, like there, there, were, there were these markers, and it was always sort of framed inside of, like, your prayers are working or we need more prayers. And it was always sort of, and, and I remember there, there's a photo of, of him in like like leaning down and like lots of people with their hands on, on his back in prayer over him. And, and I prayed for him and um, in whatever way that, that I could. And, um, and then eight months after he was diagnosed, he passed away. And you have these, these moments of, well, then what were we praying for? Or did we not pray enough? Did we not pray in the right way? Was it... Was it not, um, w w was, our, was our prayer not um, oriented towards the way God wanted them to be? And, and so you have all these sorts of things like swirling around, like what does prayer mean when you pray for a guy for eight months and then he passes away anyway? Um, how do you pray for somebody? How do you pray in the aftermath of that? Like what, what does that even sound like? Um, or... I remember before we even started collecting, before before I, I stopped working at the church I worked at before. I remember during my and I've told I've talked about this before as well. Um, I remember having this moment of not knowing if God existed or not, and just having like this real deep crisis of faith. And I remember my prayer. I prayed during that period of time, and my prayer was, "Dear God, please exist," which seems absurd on its face to pray, but that was all I could muster. Like that was that was the prayer that I had. And, and so sometimes praying feels like pulling a fire alarm switch and then realizing that it's not connected to anything. Sometimes prayer feels like just talking to yourself or um, like looking in the mirror and just sort of like reciting whatever comes to your, your mind. And, it, 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 and you do sort of have these, these questions of like, well, if I'm not asking for something that I then will get, then what is prayer? And how do I pray? And what is prayer for? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 77. And Psalm 77 is a prayer. And it's one of those prayers that you look at and you think, like, 
this is in the Bible? Because this, <laughs> this, feels, this feels like too honest. It feels too real. And we're going to look at um, Psalm 77, and we're going to ask questions about, like, how does this inform how we view prayer? And how does this inform how we think about our own prayers and how we, how we frame our prayers? And if, if, if possibly prayer is a lot more than we ever thought it was, and if prayer could never actually fit inside of a three-point bullet um, like frame, or if, if prayer is something that's a lot bigger and more expansive and a lot less, um, I can just get my hands around this and understand it fully kind of thing. So we're going to begin by looking at Psalm 77, beginning in verse 1. So um, the psalmist writes, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my song in the night. So uh, the, the thing that I find most telling here is in verse 4, where he says, I was too troubled to speak. So he's praying, but he's also acknowledging, like, my prayer had no physical, like, it had no verbal form. Like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put words around the thing that I was actually praying about. This writer is giving us a glimpse into his prayer. He's saying, I couldn't even find words for what was going on. It was too real. I was, uh, it was too gut-wrenching. It, it was too much. And so there were no words for the thing that I was going through. Sometimes prayer is simplified. Sometimes we oversimplify prayer by saying, well, it's just talking to God. But, and, and maybe sometimes that's exactly what it is. But, but what if it's so much more than that? Because in the scriptures, there are times when prayer is relating to God at times when you have actually no idea what to say. Some, he says, I had no word. Like, um, in verse 3, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Sometimes prayer is saying nothing at all. Sometimes, sometimes prayer is, is what happens when we don't have anything to say. So perhaps, perhaps you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been through a thing, and that it was so overwhelming that you couldn't put words on it. Maybe there was a loss. Maybe there was this thing will always be there. The sense that this thing would always be there. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And you didn't know what to do with that. Maybe there was a betrayal. Maybe um, you trusted someone and then that person um, hurt you in a way that you never thought another person would possibly be able to do that. Maybe, maybe there was a season of just total disorientation where it's almost like you're swimming in the ocean and you're tr like you're underwater and you don't even know which way is up. Um, you, just this total disorientation of like I don't even know I don't even know what t like right now is much less what tomorrow is going to look like. Maybe it was a point of desperation. Like I I don't even know what the next right thing looks like because I just don't even like I, I I can't even fully understand or explain what's going on now. Just so desperate and so like it feels so alone. And maybe that's where you're. at. Sometimes prayer happens in those moments, and in those moments we have no words. Like, look at uh, Romans, hold, hold on to Psalm 77, but look at Romans, if you want to, you can take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 20, 26. In Romans 8, 26, this writer says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do, not know what we, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Sometimes prayer can be talking, but sometimes prayer is what happens when we have no idea what to say at all. This writer says, sometimes I have no idea what to pray, but the Spirit intercedes with wordless groans. Not flowery language, not this big, like, 
King James style these and nows. It's wordless groans. Sometimes, sometimes all we have is the groaning. There is this old Jewish habit in which the writers insert things into the margins of the Psalms to kind of give us certain cues. Go back to Psalm 77. And the thing about our translation is it, uh, it, it shows up uh, in the footnotes, which, which is a bummer. But if you have certain translations, it'll show up in the, in the text. But um, it, in, in our translation, it's in the footnotes. But in, um, in verse 3, it says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. And, and if you have one of our, uh, if you have a, a Bible, if, like one of ours or one of mine, it just gives you a little footnote. In the footnote, it says, the Hebrew has the word selah here. And it also has it at the ends of verses uh, 9 and 15. So in, the ver- in verse 9, it says, has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then it has it again, selah. And then in verse 15, it says, with your mighty hand, with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And then, then again, the footnote, Selah. So th- this old Jewish habit is every once in a while in the Psalms. And so, again, sometimes, depending on your translation, you'll see it in the text or you'll see it in the, in the footnotes. But you'll see this word, and this word shows up, and it's the word Selah. Selah has no official translation. It's, this, it's, this, it's like a sacred pause. It's like a, like we don't know what to say, and so the text is acknowledging this is when you stop. This is when you say nothing. So throughout the prayer, the writer has told us about these moments where you just stop, and you just reflect, and you just have this, these moments of we don't know what to say, and so we say nothing at all. It's a sacred pause. Sila happens when you're sitting with a friend who just got a terrible diagnosis. And all of the nice cliches don't work anymore. Sila is what happens when there's, there's nothing else to be said. So you just sit with them. You just sit with the person and you just be for a little while. Sila is what happens when no words can, can get you to where you need to go. Um, you, by the way, you can Sila when something is beautiful. If you've ever been in the presence of something that was so much and so overwhelming that you didn't know what to say, then that was, you, 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 you could have a moment of just, and that, that, that can be Sila. Caroline and I just got back um, just a once-in-a-lifetime trip to, um, we, we went to Paris and we went to London, and while we were in Paris, we went to a museum. And uh, one, one of the things that we got to see in the museum was there was a collection of Van Gogh paintings. And um, I, I love Van Gogh. I've, I've seen in, in books, I've seen in prints, like hundreds of times, I've seen versions of Van Gogh. But what I've never seen, I've never seen the brush strokes. I've never seen, I've never stood in the presence of a Van Gogh. And so while we were in this museum, we got to see um, a, a couple of different Van Gogh paintings and just stand within arm's reach, well, not within arm's reach because they will, they will get you out of there. But, you know, clo- close enough to, to be able to notice where the brush, brush strokes were. And you have this moment of, like, what do you say? Like, how do you, um, and I tend to be pretty, like, jokey most of the time. I tend, I tend to, kind of keep the conversation going by um, making, making quips, being quippy. But in, in, in the moment where, um, where you're standing in front of a Van Gogh, like, there's nothing to say. Um, and so it's this moment of, like, oh, I'm, I'm standing in the presence of a thing and that, that, is, that is truly beautiful. And, um, and what, do you, what do you say in, in that moment? And you can, you can see la when something takes your breath away. 
when, when, you have, when something is so profound and so beautiful that you, there's, there's no words to do anything justice. Sila happens when something is beautiful. You can also sila when something is too painful for words. When, when you've gone through something and it just punches you in the gut and you have nothing else to say left, that's, you can sila in those moments too. So prayer is letting whatever is going on inside of you take shape without saying a word. Sometimes prayer is talking, but sometimes prayer is saying nothing. Sometimes prayer is sila. It's, it's when we stop. It's when we pause. It's when we have nothing left to say. Um, also, by the way, you go back to the very beginning where it says Psalm 77. Um, it says, for the director of music for Jaduthan of Asaph, a psalm. So this is written by a guy named Asaph. And um, th this, is this is kind of interesting because the psalm kind of gives us a window into who Asaph was. And um, the writer is someone named Asaph. And some, so some observations about Asaph. So in Psalm 77, beginning of verse 1, Asaph writes, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit, my spirit grew faint. So Asaph seems to be in tune with whatever's going on in his inside. My spirit groaned. I, like There's something going on inside of Asaph, and he seems to be deeply in tune with that thing. So what happens with a lot of us is we're going so fast, and we have so much input. We have so much stimulation. We have so much happening all at, of the time. We aren't even aware of what's going on with us. I'm an Enneagram 3. Um, so this, uh, this resonates pretty strongly with me. One of the jobs, one of the fundamental tasks of an Enneagram 3 is to constantly be doing and achieving and, and just like going at a certain pace to where you don't have to deal with all the things that are going on inside of you. And so anytime something, everything stops, like say a global pandemic <laughs> and you have to like slow down long enough to like deal with whatever's going on, on inside of you, that can be truly horrifying because you've never actually had to deal with what's going on inside of you because that can be a really, really difficult thing. So for example, maybe you're somebody who deals with anger and it's possible to be angry, but you're overwhelmed and you're distracted and you aren't even aware of what's actually going on inside of you because you've got all this other stuff going on. But then for some reason, at some point, you, you, you slow down and at some point you lose it and you finally realize, oh, maybe there's something going on inside of me. Maybe, maybe you fly off the handle for no reason whatsoever. I'm speaking hypothetically. I'm not talking about anybody that I know personally. I'm just saying like this could happen to somebody. Maybe you begin to lose it a little bit and you begin to sort of have this realization of, oh, there's lots of stuff going on inside of me that I don't even know what's going on. Asaph seems fully in tune with what's going on. Asaph says, my soul refused to be comforted. He's saying, I'm going to have to dig some of this stuff up. One of the most, uh, in my own experience, one of the most challenging parts of mental health work is learning why I feel the way that I feel. If you've ever been, if you've ever sat in a counselor's office and told this person, I feel this way, and the person tries to dig into, well, why do you think you feel this way? I don't know. Like, I thought we, I thought I, I was, I already, I thought I reached the, the source of it by telling you that I feel this way. Now you're asking me why I feel this way? Um, <laughs> But no, like that's, sometimes that's the hardest part is trying to dig into why do I feel the way that I feel. Asaph is someone who seems to be pretty in tune with his insides. Notice what he says about his prayer. In verse 3, he says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. In verse 6, he says, I remembered the, my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asks. 
So Asaph prays with his heart. He prays with his spirit. Um, it's possible to pray without thinking at all about what it is you're saying, to just go through the motions. It's possible to hear a, a sermon, a very well thought out sermon, that has all these points about how you're supposed to pray, about pray this way, say these words, say these words, and then say these words. It's possible to hear a sermon like that and then to do what the sermon says and to not think about it at all. It's also possible to pray with only your head and to make all these intellectual statements, but, but there's nothing else going on beneath the surface. It's possible to go through the list and to do all the things that you're supposed to and for it to mean nothing. It's possible to follow a formula and for it to have, have no meaning whatsoever. But Asaph doesn't pray with his head. Asaph prays with his gut. He's praying with his heart. He's praying with his spirit. He's praying from somewhere deep inside of him. Notice what this leads to, by the way. Go back to verse 6. In verse 6, he, he writes, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? So some prayers ask for things. Other prayers ask about things, which is what we see Asaph doing here. Notice the verbs he uses. Will God reject forever? Will God never show his favor? Has, God, has God's love vanished? Has God forgotten? Has God withheld? Has God failed? This is in the Bible. Has God failed? When Asaph prays, he asks some of the most naked, brutal questions imaginable, which, by the way, flies in the face of our need to be polite when we pray, right? Like, if you've ever had the sense of, well, I have to pray in this very proper, very um, um, pre-prescribed kind of way of, of praying, Asaph doesn't do that. He, he wants to know if God has failed. Um, which, by the way, I would argue all of these questions that Asaph asks are really asking a larger question, which is rooted in, is God really loving? Which is a very hard question to ask in the midst of a prayer that we find in the Bible. Um, and so another way, another way to say this prayer, I would say, is, God, I need you to care. I just need a glimpse of something good in my life. I need a small win. I need to know that you're with me at some level. I need to know that I'm not alone in all of this. Are, th are there words, here's a question, are there words that you need to pray? Er, is there an ache that you need to express? Is there a certain amount of politeness that you need to let go of so that you can pray a more honest, more truthful, more sincere kind of prayer? And then what's interesting here is after he asks all these questions about like, has God forgotten? Has God failed? He shifts gears entirely. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he writes, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. In other words, here's the thing I'm going to hold on to. The years when the Most High stretched out His right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Not of right now, not of recently, of long ago. I will consider all your works, and I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God, what God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So again, he's, he's calling back to something that happened like hundreds, if not thousands of years before this. 
He says, the waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very deeps were, were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was, her, was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your, wa your way through the mighty waters. You, though your footprints were not seen, you, let your people like, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he's calling back to these ancient stories, and he's saying, like, all the things around me seem very terrible. All the things around me seem pretty bad. And so the thing that I'm going to hold on to is we have these ancient stories. And in these ancient stories, there were also people who felt like things were going really bad, but somehow things worked out. So the first half of the Psalms, there are lots of uses of I and me. But then in the second half, the nouns generally shift, shift to you. So in other words, I would say all of a sudden Asaph is beginning to see that the world is bigger than his current circumstances. He's realizing that the world is much bigger than the place that we often realize or that we, than, we, than we often think, think that it is. Often, often we sort of shrink the world into the size of our problems and our needs and our situation. And what Asaph does is he doesn't deny those things. He already has asked, has God forgotten me? But then he says, but I'm going to remember that there, there have been times when things worked to the, to the good of, of how things should be that the story resolved in a way that was good and life-giving. All of a sudden, Asaph is beginning to see that the world is a much bigger place. So what is prayer in, in, in light of what we see Asaph going through here? Prayer is listening to yourself. It's groaning sometimes. Prayer is realizing, wow, the world really doesn't always just revolve around me. Sometimes, sometimes the world is a much bigger, more expansive, more interesting place than I thought it was. It's realizing I've made all sorts of judgments based on my own limited perspective, and I may not know as much as I think that I do. So maybe sometimes prayer is learning how to, how to hone my, my own perspective. And at the end of the psalm, by the way, and this is sort of the theme of the whole series, at the end of the psalm, Asaph doesn't get a nice, neat, tidy answer. There's no point at which God steps into the story and says, well, here's what I'm actually doing here. here. Here's how the story is going to resolve. It doesn't resolve. He, he goes through his, his time of struggle. He says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remember all the times that God showed up. And he remembers those times, and then the psalm ends. He doesn't get a neat, ni nice, neat, tidy answer. It's unresolved. He does find himself on a journey, though. He finds himself on a journey of trust and surrender. It's, it's like he's saying, look, I, I still have questions. I still have pain, but I see that there's something bigger at play here. I see that God has been with us and will continue to be with us, even when I don't feel like God is with me. So Asaph's answer comes in the form of other people who have also been where he is. He's remembering like, oh yeah, there were times where other people prayed prayers like this, and they turned out okay. So I'm going to hold on to that as well. So I don't have a nice, neat, tidy answer to what is prayer? How do you pray? Give me the three points to prayer. I, I'm, I want to acknowledge that prayer is complicated. It's, it's a thing that sometimes I do it and I don't want to do it. Sometimes I do it and I don't realize I'm doing it because what I'm doing is I'm not saying like, dear God, give me this, this, and this. What I'm doing is I'm groaning and I'm realizing that that's prayer too. So may you find that your prayers can use words, but also your prayers can use silence. Sometimes Selah 
is the best prayer that you can pray. May your ache serve as your prayer. May you let go of your need to be polite in your prayers. May you find perspective. May you hone your, your perspective as you realize, like, oh, the whole thing is much bigger than what's going on right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe the struggle isn't the final word in the story. Maybe that's what prayer does. Maybe prayer recenters us and reminds us that the whole thing is bigger than just what's going on right now in front of us. So may you be honest. May you be truthful. May you, may you groan if you need to groan. And may you remember that the story is much bigger. And may you find that prayer continues to be this elusive, beautiful practice that we're invited to participate in. And may you participate in whatever way you can. Because it's not about a formula. It's about something coming from your gut. May your prayers be your groans. And may your groans remind you that you are not alone. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this reminder that prayer is more than simply reciting words. May we groan when we need to groan. May we ache when we need to ache. May our perspective grow. And may we find that we are on the journey of learning more and more of what's going on inside of us. And may that inform our prayers. In the name of Jesus, we pray.